Hey, good morning, church. Good to see you all. Well, if you haven't been with us for the last several weeks, we're in a series that you can see up on the screen called A Biblical World. And what we're talking about is a biblical world view. We're looking at scripture to get an understanding based upon scripture of what is reality and how we should see and respond to that reality. That's our paradigm. That's our world view. And so as a part of exploring that, we've been spending a lot of time in the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments is this beautiful, succinct compilation of basic truths that define what a biblical worldview, what, a, what an ethic of living out a biblical worldview looks like. And so we've been working through those commands. And last Sunday, we talked about the seventh command, do not commit adultery. And obviously, that's, you know, that's pretty heavy. That's, um, that's a difficult topic. And so last Sunday night, as we're getting into bed, Sherry just kind of comes that, that, you know, that was that was pretty hard. I'm sure you're hitting some people pretty hard. And that was just, this has really been kind of a heavy series. I said, yeah, yeah, it has. She said, well, so what are you going to talk about next Sunday? And I said, abortion. And she said, I said, no, you cannot do that to this people. Lighten up. And I understand what she's saying. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to just weigh you down with all of these heavy teachings, but I want to talk about this. I really do. Because if, if there is any topic where a biblical worldview is needed, it is this topic. Our, our nation's debate over abortion, it gives the church an opportunity to shine in the midst of, of darkness and confusion. We can bring light and hope and, and literally life with a, the, the, the biblical view on this. And I just feel like it'd be, it'd be negligent of me as a minister to not talk about this. When we're talking about worldviews, what other topic needs a discussion for us to be able to eloquently express truth than this one? And so we're going to borrow a lot. Actually, abortion is a great example of everything we've been talking about in this series up to this point. And so I'll be borrowing a lot from what I've already talked about in the past in this series and, and bringing it all together on this. And one of those one of those things I want to pull back from a previous sermon is, is an image I asked you to, to put in your mind of what a biblical worldview looks like and what effect it should have. And that was a, a house with, with warm light streaming out of the, of the windows, pouring out of the windows into the darkness. I love that image. I think it's a, I think it's a biblical image because... I'm going to show you some scriptures that I think describe that's us. That's the church. That's our homes as, as, as Christians. Because the people outside in the world, outside there in the darkness, can look in here or look inside our own homes and our own lives and hopefully see something different, something winsome and appealing and, and, and beautiful even and very different than what they're experiencing out there. So that image, that's us. 
That's what I want you to think. That's the church. That's people living in God's house in obedience to him. Throughout scripture, God promises that living aligned to his commands, living with a biblical worldview, is going to bless us and bless those around us. And when we break God's commands, we're the ones who end up broken. But wholeness comes. Strength comes. Clarity comes when we follow God's commands. And so I want you to listen to what Moses said would happen if God's people humbly live in obedience to God's ways. It's from Deuteronomy 28. He says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. And all these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You should be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. And the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, the lambs of your flocks, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Moses says, among the blessings of living in accordance with God's commands is the fruit of your womb will be blessed. He's talking about their children. Children, even in the womb, even unborn, are blessed when people seek and follow God. So when we follow God's word, that creates wholeness. That creates blessing. And oh my, we need wholeness and life in this nation when it comes to how we view our unborn children. There have been 64 million abortions in this country since Roe versus Wade was passed in 1973. That's roughly the equivalent of the entire populations of Texas and California combined. If we were to observe one minute of silence for every unborn baby who was intentionally aborted in this nation just since 1973, that silence would last for 100 years. By any measure, that is tragic. And it begs the question, how could this happen so often? How, how could so many people make such a, a gut-wrenching decision, and it is for everybody, a gut-wrenching decision. Nobody sees an abortion as, as an achievement to take pride in. It's not, it's not a goal. It's an exit. It's a way out of a situation that they don't want to be in or don't think they can handle, and desperate people do desperate things. So we're going to talk about this with understanding. We're going to talk about this as gently as I can with compassion. But it is a tragedy. And the best way to reduce that, the best way to reduce abortions is to reduce the demand for abortions. And that will only happen, I believe, when the church shows a better way. When, when people outside look into our church and our homes, what they should see are people who want the best relationships possible with God and with others. That's what this whole series is about. That's what the Ten Commandments is about. It's about how to relate to God and to others. Love God, love others. That is the Ten Commandments. And so when people look inside here, they should see people dedicated to trying to love others as best as they can. We think in terms of relationships. 
And that means we're willing to take on the responsibilities, the hard responsibilities sometimes, of trying to have relationships and show love and bless others around us. That's what people should see when they look outside and look in here. They should see people who see everything else through eyes of generosity. Because they should see people who believe that God can provide. Somehow with God, we can get through this. Somehow God will come through. And they should see people who have a peace that passes understanding in every situation. They should see people like that. And if they see people like that, this will be a place people will run to. This will be a place that people will run to when they find themselves in desperate situations, when they find themselves pregnant and scared. Because what they should see here is a better way. Here's, here's who Peter says we are in the church. And he's, he's not talking, this is not ancient Israel, the nation of ancient Israel. This is us. This is New Testament church. This is what Peter says. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Though they don't understand right now, though they disagree with you right now, though they will persecute you right now, you live such good lives among them that eventually they will see that you have a better way. So that's what I'm going to focus on. When I'm talking about this topic today, I'm just focusing on what we do in the church by living such good lives. I'm, I'm not going to speak about the political landscape out there. And yes, that does matter. And yes, Christians do have a role to play in that arena. But what I believe about abortion does not depend upon the Supreme Court or the president or Congress or what surveys say is popular opinion. None of them have the answer. I believe we already have the best way forward in the Bible. So what does the Bible say about abortion? It may surprise you, but when you, when you open up God's word to see what it says about abortion, if you were to go to the concordance, and the concordance is in, a lot of, in the backs of a lot of study Bibles, it's just a list of the words that appear in Scripture, and it shows you where that word occurs in Scripture. Well, if you go to A, look for abortion, you're not going to find it. The word abortion, the word itself, abortion, does not appear in Scripture. There's not a verse that directly speaks about abortion using the word abortion. So what we can discern instead, looking through all of Scripture, and I, I think I can make a good argument for this, what we can discern is an overall ethic, a way to live, a way to believe. And it is a pro-life, life is a gift, life is good and worth living, protect life ethic. And in many ways, the topic of abortion ties together so much, like as I said, of what we've already learned in this series. We've already covered way back in the very beginning of this series that every human is made in the image of God and has value because of that. I'm not going to go back and, and revisit all of that. But I will just remind you also of this. All life is created by the will of God through Jesus. 
all life. That's a sobering truth to me. That speaks to the preciousness of what we're discussing today. But the reason I say that is because what I see in John 1, 3, and 4, which is the introduction of that gospel and is introducing Jesus, this is what it says, through him, through Christ, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So all things were made through Christ. That means that there may be accidental parents, but there are no accidental children. Jesus is involved in granting of life, every life. And he loves that new creation from the very beginning. So that's the first truth. And here's the second truth, that we must speak aloud and never allow it to be obscured. Because this is the truth that guides everything else in the biblical view of abortion, and that is a baby is a human from conception. A zygote is what results when a human egg is fertilized by a human sperm. And at that point, it's no longer an egg. It is a separate organism with its own genetic code. And it has a full complement of human chromosomes. Its cells are human cells. It will only split and produce more human cells. It will not become anything else other than a human being, because it's already human, so long as it's provided with what every other human needs, food and oxygen, etc. So when we use these biological words like zygote or embryo or fetus, those are all descriptions of physical development, and that is all that they are. At every one of those stages, we are dealing with a human. To deny that a human embryo is a human because of its size, to say it's just a clump of cells, is scientifically and morally and logically ridiculous. Following that logic, we're all just clumps of cells. That's why scripture speaks of unborn children as persons. So I want you to listen to what the angel Gabriel says about John the Baptist. And this, is a, this is a prophecy before John is even born. Luke 1, 15, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Gabriel says God's Spirit will be inhabiting John even in the womb. He's being spoken of as a person in whom the Spirit dwells even before birth. And listen, even better, I think, is that this very revealing statement that John's mother Elizabeth makes to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Once Mary discovers that she is pregnant, once she's told by the angel this is how it's going to happen, and when it does happen, she goes to her relative Elizabeth's house. And this is how Elizabeth greets Mary, who is pregnant, and at a very early stage of pregnancy. This is how she greets the pregnant Mary. Luke 1.43, Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth refers to Mary as the mother of my Lord. This is a very early stage of pregnancy for Mary. Even then, Jesus is Lord. His identity is already recognized. His value and potential and divinity, his personhood are all present, even as a fetus. And I think Elizabeth says that inspired by the Spirit. I think she's speaking prophecy. 
I think she's saying more than she even knows. So God is, God is telling us through her words, this is how I view the unborn. And here's what David says about how God was involved with him even before birth. And yes, this is a psalm, so this is poetic language, but that doesn't mean this is not also inspired truth that reveals biblical reality. Remind you of that, Psalm 139, for you, God, you created my inmost being. You, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place and I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days adorned for me were written in your book even before one of them came to be. Now, the Hebrew word golem, G-O-L-E-M, translated as unformed body in that passage, can also be translated as fetus. It's the only time that word appears in Scripture. But it appears in a passage that's celebrating how God is involved with us even at that stage of development. God has plans for us even at that stage. So that's the second scriptural truth that guides us. An infant is fully human from conception. From conception, that fetus is a human, a person. And that means that all the scriptures that teach us about relating to other people, those apply to how we relate to unborn people. I'll show you some of those scriptures in just a moment, but before we get to that, there's one more truth I want to bring into this. And that is, every child has a mother and father basic biology. I mean, we talked about this some, a few Sundays ago. We were talking about family and about marriage, but every child has a mother and father. And I just want to remind you of that to remind you that abortion is not exclusively a women's issue. To make it so allows men to abdicate responsibility and diminishes the essential role of fathers. So when pro-abortion advocates say that men have no say in abortion, that actually harms women. That lets men indulge in their, their worst impulses and then push all the burden onto the woman. And then she is left alone trying to navigate these, these terribly heavy decisions. And the church needs to correct that. We, among us, at least among us, we need to call every man who fathers a child to take responsibility for supporting that child and its mother. We need to call young men to the masculine virtues of bravery and sacrifice for others. Even if the child is put up for adoption, even if the mother and father do not get married, that still should be what we are doing. There, there, there are men in the church who can mentor that young father through that whole process and even after that. And it may require the church to help that couple financially. There may be a lot of things that we're called upon to do as, as a responsibility in our relationship to that young couple. Now, if that father is not a Christian, we can't, you know, if he refuses responsibility, we can't impose anything on him. But we can still show him a better way by how we take care of his kids. Whether it's we take care of them as adoptive parents or as foster parents or in our support of Christian children's homes, we can still show that, that unbelieving father a better way. And what guides us in relating to, to mothers and fathers and their unborn children is the same verses that guide us in all relationships with everybody. 
So when we live out these passages, we must consider all three, the mother and the father and the unborn. So I just want to remind you of a, and I know that you know these passages. I just want to remind you of a few core scriptures that teach us how to relate to others. And I want you, I'm just going to throw these out. I'm not going to give you a lot of explanation because I want you to think about them. I want you to think about, so what does this mean for, for me? What does this mean for us? And how we relate to a mother and a father and their unborn child. First is Jesus speaking in Mark 12, 31. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know that one. That scripture pushes us to put ourselves in, in other people's shoes. Love your neighbor as yourself. What do I want for me? I should want the same for him or her. If we were in that same situation, what would I want? What would I need? Second, very similar teaching, Luke 6.31, again says Jesus speaking, do to others as you would like them to do to you. I think about that one in this particular topic. I think, well, I, you know, I am so grateful that I was given the chance to live. I am so grateful that that's what my parents gave to me. So when I think about unborn children, what do I want for them? I, I should do the same for them that, that I would want someone to do for me. Or if I was a young person and I was caught in the consequences of a bad decision in the, in the midst of the most shame and fear I've ever felt, what would I hope my Christian friends or my church would do for me? Here's another one, and this is from Paul, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Boy, this is important because this passage pushes back against our culture because our culture demands rights without responsibilities. And that means that sometimes people are willing to sacrifice children so that they can achieve their career goals or their financial goals. That's not how we do it here. We have a better way. In the church, we look out for the interests of the unborn and the newborn. We protect his or her interests too. And yes, that requires some hard decisions. And sometimes that requires some of us to, to, to give up some dreams, but it honors God. It honors the life that he gave through that little one. And it declares trust that the story he is writing for both me and for this child is better than the story I would write for myself if I was defying God. And one more, this is also from Paul, Galatians 6, 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. How do we carry each other's burdens? The mother and the father and the child, how do we carry, help them carry their burdens? Well, to help explore how we can carry the burdens of mothers and fathers who find themselves with, with unplanned or, or unwanted pregnancy, I've asked for some help. I've asked Melissa Poling to come up and join me on this. I can tell you, I, I've, 
uh, bragged about Edgemere for a lot of different reasons. But one thing that amazes me about this church is the extraordinary number of talented men and women that God has gathered here who have incredible hearts for ministry, for others, and Melissa's one of them. And I was, I was not going to attempt to talk about the topic of abortion without Melissa's help. And part of you already know why, because you've heard some of her story. We, we had this series called My Story that ran on Wednesdays. And it was just different Esmer members that would sit down and share their spiritual journeys with the rest of us. And one of those evenings, it was Melissa who shared. And part of what you shared, Melissa, was part of your story is that, that you had an abortion. So how old were you when, when that occurred? I was, do you want me to turn this off? It should be. There you go. I was 19 years old. Okay. And just, I don't want you to share the whole story again, but you know, what were some of the reasons you decided to have an abortion then? What were, the, what were the, the, the pressures that you were feeling that led you to that decision? Well, um, being 19, I was going to college here at Midwestern State University. Um, I wanted to pursue a degree. I wanted to, to have an education so I could have a good life. And when I found out that I was pregnant, the first thing I did was I ran home because I was scared. I was terrified. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know who could help me. Um, I tell you where I didn't go, and I, and I feel like now I know where I should have gone, and that was to my church. I should have, when I went back home, I should have gone and talked to the people that I knew loved me and could have given me guidance and direction and support, and I didn't go there. I let fear completely rule my decisions, and um, it didn't end up, I didn't end up making the right choice. Mm -hmm. And I, again, I, I've told you before, I really appreciate you coming up here. I know every time you share it, it is, it is difficult. But you having gone through this experience personally, you have, you have something to share that I just, I just don't. And so I wanted them to hear from you. And I especially wanted to hear from you because you have a ministry called Surrendering the Secret. And I do want you to explain what that is about and kind of what, what you do with that. But... What I would like you to, to share a little bit to, for us is when we have a friend or a family member who has an unwanted pregnancy, when they first discover, okay, I'm in this situation, what is your advice in terms of what to say or not to say, what to do or not to do? Just, just kind of guide us through what, how, should, how should we handle this? How, how should we start with that person? First and foremost, if you have a minute before you open your mouth, pray. Um, the person that's sitting before you that shared that with you is terrified. And they are most likely believing that they're alone and they're scared. And um, the best thing you can do is just start praying immediately for the Spirit to guide you in the, in the advice that you're going to give them. You put your arm around them and you tell them that you love them and that you're sorry that they're in that situation, but that you are going to walk with them through every step of that. If they want you by their side, 
you be that person that's strong for them when they can't be strong for themselves. Okay. Um, as far as what not to say, um, obviously you have a pregnant girl. That um, conversation that should have happened months before, that ship has sailed. It's not time to beat somebody down about that decision. Um, they're in that, that pregnancy right then. And the most important thing that we can do is protect that mama, protect that baby, and help that dad um, help him to understand, like you mentioned, his responsibility and how powerful um, his role as a protecting father can be. Okay. And then in terms of, you know, what to do. Like I said, we, we can't, the past is the past. Mm -hmm. That's not the issue right now. It's moving forward. What can we, how can we help them in terms of moving forward? Well, um, we have a lot of resources in Wichita Falls. Um, we have the center, which is, used to be called the Crisis Pregnancy Center. Um, they have some amazing uh, counselors there. They have a wonderful nurse on staff there. And she, if you can take this girl with you, maybe her parents, um, if she's comfortable enough to talk to her parents, which is another thing you can do. You can volunteer to go with her to tell her mom and dad. Um, they will do ultrasounds at the Crisis Pregnancy Center or the center here in Wichita Falls. Um, man, looking back at my own experience, having the chance to see that baby on that ultrasound, um, that would save a life right there. Um, encourage them to get good medical care, help them find a doctor, help them find a group that will walk alongside them. This isn't a rare occurrence, sadly. We have a lot of people that have walked this path. Um, it's a great time to show the love of Christ and be that light, because it's dark. It's a dark, scary time. Um, I had um, a teenager come to me when um, Jay was doing youth ministry who thought she might be pregnant, but she wasn't sure. And so she was a friend of my daughter's, and she brought her to our home. And I had gone to the pharmacy and picked up a pregnancy test because I knew already what this, this lunch time was going to be for. And she took that test, and we found out, yeah, she was pregnant. And so we, we just walked through that nine months with her. Um, her friends threw her a baby shower. Um, we talked to her parents. We helped them understand that we were there to help them, that they weren't alone. One of the biggest things that happens when you find out about an unexpected pregnancy, uh, especially with a teenager, is the shame that comes from the community people looking down in judgment, um, the voices that you know that are being, that are whispering behind you, behind your back, and behind your parents' back, and no parent wants their child to go through that, and no church wants their family members, their members that, that you sit next to in the pew every week, nobody wants that to happen to somebody. So we need to show that love and that forgiveness especially compassion, because all have sinned. Mm -hmm. All have sinned. Mm -hmm. um, I know you're going to talk a little bit more about, about the forgiveness part, but I think in telling my story, 
it's important to tell about the horror of abortion because it is horrific. It's painful. The lie that I believed for a long time was is that once I did that, I'd never have to think about it again. And that's, that's a horrible lie because I promise you I've thought about it for 36 years every day. And I won't get to hold that baby again until I'm in heaven with Jesus. And I look forward to that day because I get to see the face of my Savior. And I get to thank him again and again and again for what he did for me. Because without his love and forgiveness, I would have no hope. And the blood of Jesus covers the sin of abortion. That's, that's what we have to cling to. And that's the truth. As we were kind of talking about preparing for this, you had shared with me one of the statistics that one in four women have had an abortion. And so obviously, in any group of this size, there are going to be several men and women in this room or watching this online who have been impacted by a decision to have an abortion. So what, what would you want them to know about living with that? Like I said, you know, you've lived it for almost four decades. Just what can we, how can we help them in terms of, of moving forward and living with, living with that? Well... If you had told me 36 years ago that I would be up on this stage talking about this on a Sunday morning, I would have laughed and said, that'll never happen. Um, in this ministry on Surrendering the Secret, there, these brochures are going to be out in the foyer. Um, inside this is kind of a questionnaire. And you can ask yourself, if you've been affected by abortion or you know somebody who has, you can... Ask yourself those eight questions that are in there to kind of help you establish where you're at mentally and, and emotionally because it's such an emotional topic. Um, we think and the media will tell us that it's a quick fix to get an abortion. It's not. It's the most painful and horrible thing you can do to yourself and to your child. Um, if you've gone through it, though, there's hope. Uh, when I found this Bible study, um, I had already gone through a different Bible study. Um, nine, it took me nine years after my abortion to acknowledge the fact that there was something wrong. My heart was hurting, and I was having some symptoms like uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, and I couldn't get a grip on it. And a friend of mine pulled me aside and invited me to go to this Bible class, which lasted about eight weeks, and walked with me through the whole process of healing. And that's what surrendering the secret is. That's what I want to do for anybody who's struggling with this. I'm, I'm here. All you have to do is hold out your hand and get a hold of me, and I will walk through that with you. It's not easy. There's a lot of pain involved, but you're going to come out on the other side of that free and forgiven and the blood of Jesus is just going to cover you and make you into that person that you didn't think you could ever be again. And so your, I'm gonna take, your contact information is in? Yes. Okay. My email is on the, on back. the back. You can email okay. me. I think my phone number may still be in the directory. You can yes. get a hold of me. I'm available anytime. Okay. And so if they come to you about surrounding the secret, Obviously, it's all confidential. Mm -hmm. It just initially is just one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. or you, or if they want to bring someone with them, a friend with them, mm -hmm. 
and then we just kind of go from there. But you just you talk to them confidentially at first, and then go from there. That word confidential, that's the other thing that you need to know when you're speaking with somebody about this. Confidentiality is of the utmost importance. Not everybody wants this secret out. Not everybody has shared this with their friends and family. Um, it's a very sensitive topic. Even though the world is talking about it, the shame that comes with abortion is something that most women don't really want to discuss. And even though you know you need that healing, even though you're asking God, come in and clean me and fix me, just don't go into that closet. Mm. Keep that door shut. It's such a painful thing, but it's okay. Because like any pain that we experience, um, when God heals that, he turns that, those ashes into beauty. That's what he does. Yeah, yeah. well said. All right, so we, this whole series has been about a biblical worldview. It's... it's, it's finding scriptures that help us see correctly. Is there, is there a scripture that, that you would go to that has helped you yes. through, through this? I happen to have one right here. Um, this is from James chapter 5, verse 19 through 20. My dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back. And you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. This freedom affects generations to come. Um, your family's worth it. You're worth it. Very good. Melissa, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Give her a hand. Let's sit there. Well, I really do appreciate Melissa coming up. Um, it is difficult. I'm not going to pretend this is not a hard subject to even open up, let alone live with. Uh, the good news for you is in two weeks, I won't be here. You'll have a guest speaker. And so <laughs> you'll finally have someone who will lighten up. Uh, but before we dismiss, um, I, just, I, just, I hope that you heard in what she shared. I hope that you've, you've heard in what I've shared with you from, from Scripture, when it comes to this topic, this is a place of hope. We have hope to give people. This, this, is, this is something that, that we can shine that light into for folks who are in confused chaos and darkness. And as Melissa shared, we're about not the past. We're about moving forward. We're about forgiveness. We are a people who every day, we know because of Christ, every day is one day closer to heaven. Nothing in our past can touch what lays ahead for us in the future. And I know, once again, bringing up this topic, we have probably, for, for a few folks here, we have pushed on the most painful, sensitive parts of your heart. And I almost, almost just end with this. It's a passage from Paul, 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. That's the guy who wrote half our New Testament. 
And he says, whatever you've done, I've done worse. That's the guy who wrote half of our New Testament. As Melissa said, this, this is not unforgivable in any way. If you, have, if you have this in your past, Christ came into the world for you. He loves you. He cannot help but love you. That's what he is. He came to save you from whatever you have done. You have hope. You have a future in Christ and in his church. And so if, if this is a topic that, that you need some healing from, or if this is a topic that you're, you're facing a really tough decision right now, or maybe you haven't even shared that secret with, with, with somebody, we just want you to know, come here. Come here. This is a place where people understand. This is a place where people will love you. This is a place where we have been forgiven. And we want to extend that forgiveness to you because we all need that same forgiveness from Christ. And so come talk to Melissa. Come, come talk or somebody else here that, that, that you need to share something with or you just need some help from or you just need someone to pray for you, to take that burden off of you for a moment and pray for you. We're, we, that's what we're here for. We're here for you. This is a place of hope and of light and of life. That is the church. And I'm so glad to be a part of it with you. Thank you for being here this morning. Let's stand and sing.